probably tell, we're missing someone that was normally here on Sunday mornings, which would be Brett. And uh, I have to say, when, when Brett called me last night to tell me he was sick, I was, uh, I was disappointed. I was sad to hear that he was sick because he, he loves to serve and do what he can for us here as a church. But I immediately went to my wife to seek counsel, and she gave me good advice to call Judy. And I want to say something about what Judy did this morning. Judy, Judy did exactly what I'm, I'm going to be preaching about. However, she didn't do it for her own husband. She did it for her true husband, Christ. She submitted to the need that arose in the church. And she served willfully this morning, and I believe beautifully this morning, in honor of her true husband, the Lord Jesus. And so I thank her for that illustration. God actually orchestrated that for me. I didn't even have to come up with one. God did that because we're going to be addressing the issue of submission this morning out of 1 Peter. If you would, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter. Actually turn to chapter 2 this morning so that we can begin in context and to back up what happened the last time we met and went through Peter. We need to understand the big picture as we move on to chapter 3, which we will do today. If you look in uh, 1 Peter 2, 11, we'll begin there. I'm going to read 11 down to 13. If you would open God's word with me there and listen as God addresses us from Peter. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Whether to a king as one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and the praise for those who do right, for such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Peter talks to us about doing right and submitting for the sake of the other person, and for the glory of God, both in verse 11 and in verse 13. He makes it clear that Christians, really in this whole chapter, are to reflect their new position before God as children of God. And that as children of God, they trust in the God who called them into the, to serve in the world and whatever area of life they're placed in, whatever human institution they found themselves under, they are to submit by trusting God to care for them in this situation. Because they know that God has ordained where they belong and where they are by his sovereign plan and for their good. And we see that even the Lord Jesus gave us the greatest illustration of what this is to look like when you have to submit to maybe a corrupt human institution. Yet he did so for a greater good and for the glory of God. Jesus submitted to God the Father's plan. We, we saw this last time we met in verses 21 through 25. He, he submitted to God the Father's plan and he did that for our good and to honor God. Jesus submitted, if we look at this in a moment, he submitted willfully and beautifully because he trusted God completely. We covered that last week. Look with me at this text in 21 through 25. He comes to verse 21 and says, For you have been called for this purpose. You've been called to salvation for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his own or in his body on the cross, 
so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Peter says that we can follow this kind of example here. We can follow the example of Christ who went through suffering for our good and to honor God. And when he did so, he did so by putting complete trust in God the Father's plan. Peter's telling us we can follow that submissive example in our lives as Christians. Because we know, like verse 25 says, our souls are in the hands of the one who judges righteously and watches over us carefully. And basically, God ordains everything in our life perfectly. We need to understand that. Jesus understood that. That's why he could face persecution and suffering and death on a cross for a glorious reason. And he could do so with confidence because he knows that God had a perfect plan to bring about the restoration of his children. We see in Jesus' action a perfect example of biblical submission here. This is really important to the text we're going to cover this morning in chapter 3. Because, ladies, it's going to be addressed to you this morning primarily. And when you need to understand what biblical submission is, you need to look to the one who was the perfect example of biblical submission, which would be Christ. And if you notice, Jesus kept silent when he could have, by all rights, shouted no to those who persecuted and, and put him to death. But he was submitted to God in his heart inwardly, and that produced an outward submission to men for God's purpose, purposes perfectly. In verse or chapter 3, what we're going to see this morning is that Peter calls women to follow Jesus' example. The example is to follow in submission to their husbands, willingly, beautifully, trusting in God completely, just as Christ did. Now, it looks like an over, or maybe an overemphasis on the woman's role as we look at this text here. Just because there's more words addressed to the woman doesn't mean there needs to be less words addressed to the men which we will do next, next time we gather. What it means is there's a, a vital, important role that a woman has to play, I believe, in her position as a wife to her husband. And I believe God puts a great emphasis on the godliness of holy women and the power of a holy life in leading their husbands to Christ. So today what we're going to look at mainly will be, we'll be looking at the beauty of submission in Christian women. The beauty of submission in Christian women. Next week, we'll look at the strength of understanding in Christian men, the strength of understanding in Christian men. But for this morning, we will address, be addressed by 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. Let's read that together. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding of the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Peter teaches us here that the beauty of submission is seen when holy women, he's talking about holy women, women who have been set apart by God in this world, placed 
by God into the relationship in which they now live, married to an imperfect man who needs them, the beauty of such women is seen when they, number one, submit to their husbands, here you go, willingly. It has to be from the heart. Not grudgingly, not only outwardly, but the emphasis will be inwardly, like Christ inwardly submitted to his Father perfectly for the good of others and the glory of God. And holy, the beauty of submission in holy women is seen when they, number two, adorn themselves with Christ-like beauty. When they submit to their husbands willingly and adorn themselves with Christ-like beauty. That's when we see the beauty of true biblical submission. But before I start, I want to just address you something out of my notes here. Um, before I start to cover what the verse does say and what Peter is teaching, let me tell you what Peter is not teaching about submission. Uh, Peter's teaching on submission does not teach that, number one, husbands have a right to abuse or mistreat or ignore their wife's input. They do not have that right. We listen to our wives if we have any brains at all as men. We listen to the help meet that God has given us especially as Christian men. And by the way, if you degrade your wife, put down your spouse, you're actually putting down yourself because you chose her. So submitting wives is to the glory of God and for the good of their husbands. And husbands do not have a right in submission to abuse that great gift from God. And submission doesn't... Peter doesn't teach that men are... by, by women, are, women by submitting doesn't mean that men are actually superior or have a higher value before God than they do. Men are not superior to women. Men are equal to women in many different ways. Yet we are distinct. We are different. We are complementarian in our view of the role of women and men. God has designed us differently for a different purpose. We need one another. We are equals in many ways, but at the same time, we complement one another and we are to hold one another up highly as we love one another but there are an order there is an order and a structure god has ordained but it doesn't mean that men are greater than women we're not spiritually superior either we are joint heirs in christ peter doesn't teach that wives should follow their husbands blindly what i mean by that is in submission doesn't mean it's submission to sin if the husband tells them to go against God's word, tells them to go into sin because he is the husband, they must submit, then they must submit first to God, not to man. So Peter's not teaching wives should follow their husbands into sin. And Peter, lastly, doesn't forbid, this is an interesting text because in it, I've, I've heard it growing up in different backgrounds than most of you, I've heard this text abused in different ways. And it, what, what Peter is not addressing later on in the text is the fact that women are forbidden. They're not forbidden to wear makeup. They're not forbidden to look nice. They're not forbidden to put on jewelry. They're actually being commanded to put on something greater than all those things. But there's no forbidding. There's no rule about not wearing certain items here. What Peter does teach is that biblical submission is a command from God. And it testifies to your hope in God and your trust in God who is your father, Christ, who is your greater husband. Biblical submission, he also teaches, must come from an inward change of your heart. It comes from regeneration. An unregenerate woman will never submit willingly to a husband. 
but one who has been transformed. You have a new nature. You perceive your position differently now because you have been changed inwardly. You no longer need to assert your rights. That's why Peter addresses all those issues about government and employers and, and uh, relationships with Gentile unbelievers and says you don't have to assert your rights in these positions. You have a greater position before God. Let God fight your battles. Biblical submission, Peter teaches, brings out the true beauty of holy women. Biblical submission makes you a beautiful woman. It does. Because first, it honors God who called you to be a woman. By the way, that is a, that is a honor from God. You have the honor of bringing children into the world, influencing children in ways that fathers many times never do. You have the honor of serving your husband as he serves Christ. There is nothing dishonorable about serving or submission. Jesus became a servant to care for our great needs. So when you serve and you submit willfully, you show the beauty of Christ in your actions. What Peter, what Peter is teaching us this morning is that the beauty of holy women is observable. It's not only inward, it actually becomes observable outwardly. When they, number one, submit to their husbands willingly. That's what the first two verses address. He says, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Not anyone else's husbands. It's your husband you're to be submitted to. So that, there's your purpose clause, even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Verse 1 says, in the same way. And when he says that, he's actually pointing us back in the text to verses 11 through 18, I believe. In verse 11, what he does is he addresses us, Christians, as aliens and strangers. Now he's addressing Christian women here in particular, and he's, he's addressing them in the same way as an alien and a stranger, according to verses 11 through 18. Conduct your life appropriately in this role as a wife in a marriage. Verses 11 through 18 says this, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. Now, let me just say something about a fleshly lust here. One of the fleshly lusts could be trying to usurp authority in your home over your husband for a woman. That can be a temptation, a fleshly lust. You don't like the direction your husband's going, so you're going to put your foot down and make him miserable. That is a sin. It's rebellion against God's God-given authority that he put over you doesn't mean you can't disagree with him at times. doesn't mean you can't even discuss the disagreement openly and, or yet carefully. But it means that you must abstain from a, a desire to usurp his place and his authority because it wages war against your soul. And he says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And there's a real purpose in this, ladies. As you do this, as you exert biblical submission to your husbands, the, the Gentile culture we live in, the unbelieving culture we live in, will be absolutely astounded by your submission and your willing submission will be a great door of evangelization. Because they're going to ask you, why do you do what you do? That's when you tell them about what Jesus did for you. Why did he do that for me? So this is a great point here. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the same thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them, see it's observable, they glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to, for the Lord's sake to every human institution or to the gov- as to the king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. 
And he goes on down in verse 18. It says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. And again, ladies, he says, in the same way, in verse 1 of chapter 3, in the same way as you, you submit your life as a, an example to Gentiles around you in the culture, as the same way you submit to those in authority over you as kings and rulers, and the same way as you submit to your masters who basically employ you, you are to submit to your husbands that God has put over you. What Peter's doing is he's calling for Christian women and for Christians in general in, in chapter 2, but for Christian women in particular here, to be a witness in the world around us that we, we belong not to the world, we belong to a higher authority. We belong to God who changes our perspective of the world. We have a heavenly citizenship that actually changes our actions on the earth, changes our perspective about submission. We no longer try to seek our own way, seek our own rights. We are okay with someone else leading us. We are okay with submitting to the one that God has put over us because we ultimately know that God is the greater authority than all of these. Peter tells us in in 2.12 that Christians respond to unjust accusations from Gentiles, and we do so differently. We do it so that we can bring them a testimony of what God has done to us inwardly. In verse 13, Peter tells us that Christians respond to unjust governments differently. We submit to these governments for the Lord's sake so that we can point them to our true authority. And in verse 18, Christians respond to unjust employers differently. We submit, we, we bear up when we are treated wrongly by our employees for doing what is right so that we can reflect Christ who suffered for doing what is right to save us. So we can give a testimony to our trust in God who is protecting us as we go through this for a glorious purpose. And what Peter does in verses three or verses 1 through 6 in chapter 3 is tells us that our heavenly citizenship is going to affect our earthly relationships, not just government, not just employers, not just superficial relationships, but the most intimate of relationships, the relationship between a husband and a wife. In verses 1 through 6, we see that Christian women respond to unjust husbands differently than the world. Ladies, we don't run them down. Ladies, we pray for them. We don't discourage them in their leadership. We respond differently than your friends who are unbelievers when it comes to discussing your husband's leadership. Verse 1b says that Christian wives are called to be submissive to their own husbands. Wives are being told to be submissive to their own husbands not because of a cultural issue of the day and not because the men are greater than the women or that the women are incompetent to take care of themselves. Again, verse 7 talks about how that we are fellow heirs of the grace of life So we're equal in that regard. But what he's saying is women submit and serve their husbands to honor God's ordained plan. The word submission is a real simple word. And with anyone in any military background, you'd understand this word submission. It means to to line up in rank. God has an orderly plan for the home, for his people. And it is to have leaders and followers, leaders and servants And ultimately, if you understand biblical leadership, every biblical leader you see is actually a servant of Christ. We are under his headship. We are submitted to him. And husbands are to be submitted to their their great head, which is Christ. And women are to submit, line up in rank under the one God put over them, which is their husbands. It's not demeaning. 
It's important to the order of God's creation. God set it in place this way in Genesis. Submission, again, just we understand this. Some people will argue with this word submission. They will say this was just a cultural issue in Peter's day. That's the way they lived. Actually, in Peter's day, what was going on here was liberating because Christian women were given new rights they never had in the pagan world around them. They were considered no more than really dogs and slaves and property by, by pagan men in those days. But here we see even verse 7 talks about that we're heirs together of the grace of life. So we're elevating the role of women. It's not, again, a cultural mandate that's being taught here. It's a creation mandate. Look with me in Genesis 2 to see that. 2.18. I think this is important as we come to deal with this issue of complementary roles in the marriage as we believe the Bible teaches. Men have a responsibility to sacrifice their life, their time, their attitudes for the sake of their wife. That's their responsibility. What's interesting when you read Ephesians 5 is women are never commanded to love their husbands, but husbands are commanded to love their wives. But women are commanded to submit to their husbands in honor of God who put them under their husbands. The command for wives to submit, again, has nothing to do with a a male superiority. It has to do with divine order that was established by God here in Genesis 2.18. And the creative authority of God that we see here is uh, 18 through 24. Then the Lord said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds and the sky of the sky and to every beast of the field. For, but for Adam, there was not a helper suitable for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned, <laughs> fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Notice in verse 22, the Lord fashioned a woman. He, he, he fashioned a man out of dirt, yet he fashioned the woman from the side of the man as, as a, an appropriate helpmeet for the man. But there was a divine order, was there not? Man was created first. In our culture, women don't like to hear that, but that's the way it is. God had a reason. The man was set in place in the garden, just like the man is set in place in the home today, to protect and lay down his life for his wife. This is a great honor for you wives. You have, by God, been given a protector, a true lover of your body and your soul, one who will lay down his life willingly because you are more important to him than his own life. So you can submit to that kind of leadership willingly as a Christian. Now, however, there's, there's the instance here in Peter that these aren't probably believing men that he's addressing here. These women have to submit to. So we can't say that this only applies, submission only applies to Christian men. 
You, su- you, you submit to a man if he's a Christian. No, actually the, the reference in Peter is actually focusing on submitting to unsaved men. And what's interesting is the whole word of submission, the whole dealing, the issue of submission, again, falls out of uh, favor in our culture because people have misunderstood submission because they, they think of it as opposite of what it really is. They think of it as a way to domineer women, to abuse women, to excuse sinful actions in men and their basically uh, abuse of women. But that's never the case scripturally. A man is responsible for his actions, yet the woman here in this text is responsible to God for hers. She is called to submit, whether he is godly or not. And I, I find it interesting that people still argue with this and actually don't even like the word submission, especially Christian or especially women, but in sometimes, some instances, some Christian women do not like the word submission. And it, it's funny to me that this is the only place that I find in Scripture that so-called Christian women try to argue that submission doesn't really mean a creation mandate. It's a cultural mandate. They, they want to overturn it here. They say, actually, this only, this only applied to Peter's day. Some liberals t- teach that and go that direction. Well, what's funny is the word submission here is the same word that's used throughout Scripture. And if it's overturned here, it's got to be t- overturned everywhere else. And we don't want that because we also recognize that all of creation is submitted to Jesus. So if creation isn't submitted to Jesus, and it doesn't really mean that because that was a cultural issue in Paul's day when he wrote Ephesians 1, then um, creation can do whatever it wants, right? We would be in trouble if Christ stopped sustaining all things and submitting all things to his will. We also know that Scripture teaches that demons are submitted to God. Demons are submitted to God. Nobody argues with that. We like that one. Demons can't do anything unless God allows it. We like submission there, right? We love that. Christians in the church are called to be submitted to Christian leaders. That's, that's a good thing, too. We see that. And here's one that no liberal or unbeliever will disagree with. They like submission in this case. Children, obey your mom and dad. Nobody wants to overturn those. But yet when it comes to the role of the woman in the home, God's ordained order of things, people want to rebel against that. Because there's power in this submission. There's power in this submission because it points us to Jesus, who was submitted perfectly to the Father's will for our good and God's glory. And that is exactly what God is calling you women to do. Follow Jesus, his example in your submission. And by the way, if there's women who fight against that here today, what you need to do is you, you need to repent and reflect. You need to repent of this and you need to reflect Christ. That's what you're called to do. Because God has given you the role. You're not a woman by accident. You're born, formed by God in the womb to be who you are for God's glory and the good of your husband and the good of those around you, even in the context of the local church because you make an impact on the single women in this church as well. But back, let's go back to Peter. According to 1 Peter 3, wives are told to do this for a very specific reason. Um, it's not just to reflect the created order. It is reflecting the created order of things, but there is a specific reason wives are told to submit to their husbands in this instance. Verse 1 kind of C, I guess you could say, says, so that even if any of them, those husbands, are disobedient to the word, the word, it's, it's the definite article, which would be the gospel. If any of those are disobedient to the gospel of Christ, the word of God, 
they may be one without a word. It's not, by the way, it's not the word as in the gospel here, but your, your many words, your arguments, your manipulation, your nagging. That's what he's getting at here. So that if any of them are disobedient to the, the gospel, they may be one without your nagging, but by your behavior, behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Okay, again, you have to read this in its context. In, in the context, Peter's addressing wives that are coming to faith in Christ while already being married to an unbeliever. And that, that's very important here because the Scripture doesn't give an automatic okie-dokie for divorce when you become a Christian in a relationship with an unbeliever. You're already in that God-ordained relationship. You're already in that honorable relationship. You have no right to leave that relationship because of your newfound faith in Christ. Instead, you're called to be a witness and suffer and submit to unjust treatment by your husband for the gospel's sake. Scripture teaches that marriage to unbelievers has to be maintained for the sake of that person's soul, the soul of the unbeliever. But yet if the unbeliever leaves you in this marriage, you're free to remarry in the Lord. That's, that's what 1 Corinthians 7, 13 through 16 talks about. But we need to understand that. You are not giving a, given a mandate here. You're actually to, to divorce your, your spouse if he doesn't come to faith in Christ. No, you're given a mandate to be a witness to your death because that's when you depart from one another. Till death, you are to be a witness of Christ to your unbelieving spouse. Now, that's, that is difficulty. And without grace, it's impossible. That's why cultivating biblical submission makes you look constantly to Christ's submission in the gospel. That's what gives you hope as women to persevere in your submission to unbelieving husbands. Verse 1 says, these men are disobedient to the word. You see that? Disobedient to the word. It means these men are characterized by disobedience to the gospel, to the word. They're, they're not just disobedient. The actual the word in the Greek refers more back to they're at enmity. They're hard-hearted. They're disobedient. They hate it. That's the idea here. These aren't lovely men that are easy to submit to is the point. Just like corrupt governments, just like employers or slave owners who are corrupt. This is hard. This requires grace. It's outside of what you can do on your own. It requires an inward transformation of your own heart by looking to Christ's work. Verse 2 says that these, these women change the lives of these men, affect the lives of these men by their chaste and respectful behavior. That's a, that's a powerful witness to an unbelieving spouse. When you can respond, respond in purity in your motives, chaste means pure, morally pure. When you respond to your husband's unjust treatment of you with moral purity and with honor and respect and reverence for his authority, that overwhelms an unbelieving man. He doesn't have a context for that. He goes to work and says, you guys won't believe what my wife puts up with. I don't understand this. And there's a reason this is important. If you look further down in chapter 3, you see a really great text that we always use on the issue of apologetics. And apart from this context, you really miss the point of this. In the context, it's really referring back to what's going on here in 1 Peter 1 through, 1 through 6. But in verse 15, it says, Set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness and reverence. You see, women, when women submit with chaste and respectful behavior to their husbands, 
That behavior becomes a door of evangelism when the husband comes to them and says, Why? Why do you keep on putting up with me? Why don't you just divorce me and get out of this relationship? And he said, Well, I'll tell you about the hope that lies within me. Let me tell you why I don't give up on you. God did not give up on me. God did something sacrificial for my soul to transform me so that I could lead you to Jesus. There's a greater responsibility in your submission as women than just obeying your husbands. It's leading them to Christ, to forgiveness that's found in God's grace. By the way, that that cuts kind of both ways. I know it's referring mainly to dealing with women submitting to unbelieving husbands for the sake of their salvation. But I will say this. You, you wives here today submitting to Christian husbands, your submission and your chaste and respectful behavior, it wins our hearts and it rebukes our attitudes because we see in you the grace of God that puts up with an imperfect man many times. And that makes us grow in our own sanctification So this cuts both ways, to the unbelieving husband and to the believing husband in that regard. Verse 3.1 goes on to say that the wife's behavior is used to win. You see that? It says, to win, he may be won without a word. You may be able to win him without a word. That word win means actually in the Greek means gain. Okay, and so again, in the context of the understanding of the, the, the definite article relating to the word, the word, which is the gospel, what he's saying is, your behavior can be used to gain a hearing, okay, a hearing from your husband. In other words, you can gain his respect to listen to you explain what you believe in your heart by your actions first. And again, what he's getting at is in this time period, you have to understand there was a lot of manipulation going on in relationships when women would try to go to a different religion than the man. And Peter's saying, It's not through your constant words of nagging and manipulation that you're going to trick him into going to church. It's going to be through your behavior that is chaste and honorable and reverential that he is going to gain a hearing. He'll he'll want to hear what you have to say about the hope that lies within you. And Peter makes no bones about the fact that it's through the word of God that people come to faith in Christ. He talks about that in verses 23 through 25 in chapter 1. It's through the word of God that people come to faith. So he's not saying, don't misunderstand this. Verse 1 does not say that a man can be saved just by his wife's behavior. That's not what it's saying. It is saying, because of your transformation in your own heart, your actions and your attitudes are spilling over onto your husband in such a way that when he sees you, he hears you, he watches you, he wants to know what hope lies within you. Then you have a hearing. Then you can point him to Jesus who changed you. That is what he's getting at here. He's saying the beautiful behavior that the man sees in the wife points him to Jesus. That's what he's looking at when he watches your actions, your attitudes. That's what he's dealing with. Verse 3 goes on to to the second point. He describes, or chapter 3, yeah, verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 3. Peter describes what a holy woman's beauty truly is. It is an adornment that reflects Christ. It's an imperishable beauty of a holy woman. The imperishable beauty of a holy woman is seen when she, number two, is adorned with Christ-like beauty. Adorned with Christ-like beauty. You see that in verse 3? Your adornment must not be merely 
external. Now, just read this so we understand not to, to, to misapply this. He doesn't say, this is, this is not actually a verse that's telling you about what you can and cannot wear. This verse is actually part B, or verse 4 actually gives you what the command is, but verse 3 is actually saying, don't let it just be merely. He's not saying you can't have external braiding of hair, wearing of gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. By the way, you don't want to forbid one of these because you have to forbid them all, and that means that women can't wear dresses either. Okay, So that's not what he's meaning in its context. He says, don't let your adornment, let, let your adornment not be external only. Your adornment needs to be something greater than what you put on outwardly. And again, people have used this verse so many times in the past to make legalistic guidelines for women to live by. And that is dangerous. That is wrong. It has nothing to do with the context. There is a cultural context to this, though. I will give you that. In the cultural context, the reason he's addressing braided hair, gold jewelry, and putting on dresses is because this is what the women of Peter's day used to manipulate and manage their husbands to get their way. There is power in the beauty of a woman. And women know that. Women know that. You want your husband to take you out? You put on the dress. You put on the lipstick. You put on the earrings. You meet him at the door. He's going to get the car keys and you're going, right? That's the way it works. There's power in that. Feminine appeal. But Peter is saying you've got to be careful of trying to use your feminine appeal to manipulate someone inwardly. You may get him to show up at church because you've manipulated him, but you're not going to touch his heart. The true beauty that's going to penetrate his heart will be a beauty that comes from the inside out. In the time here that Peter is dealing with, the wives were absolutely forbidden to join another religion other than their husbands. It was against the law. It didn't stop them. There was a religion prominent in the time of Peter. It was the religion of Bacchus. And many women wanted to be a part of Bacchus. And part of the reason was, in Bacchus, there was freedom from their husbands. Because in Bacchus, it was a religion of drunkenness, a religion of wine, they worshiped the god of wine. And they would go into the woods and they would drink wine and they would party and they would have all these horribly bad parties with lots of other people. And it was forbidden for wives of men to go into those ceremonies. Yet the way some of the women manipulated their, their way into those areas was they would adorn themselves outwardly and manipulate and manage their husband through their beauty to get their way. Peter is saying that is sinful, that is lustful, that is evil, that is corrupt. Don't go the way of the world to try to get something done spiritually. Instead of cultivating so much time on your outward external being, focus more on the internal heart that God has given you in Christ. That will win your husbands. Don't trust in outer beauty to change him. Trust in the beauty of Christ inwardly. That's what he says to do in verse 4. Let it be the hidden person of the heart. It means the person you can't see. It's the person that's inside of you women. The person that's there that, that wants to serve. The person who's there who wants to revere her husband because he is a gift from God to her. Wants to obey God in her role as a woman. That's the hidden person of the heart. And that hidden person, that beauty, he says... Is to be adorned. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. 
Peter says, trust in what transformed you inwardly, which was God's grace. It was God's grace that you are to adorn in your life. Adorn your life with the imperishable beauty and the power of God's grace. It was God's grace that opened your eyes to see your corruption inside and points you to your salvation in Christ. And that grace is what changes you and makes you submitted to your husband and trusting in God who will provide for you even through this unbelieving man. Peter is saying that you need to not adorn yourself with the things of the world to try to manipulate your husbands and control your husbands' actions and attitudes. What you need to do is you need to put on Jesus and you need to trust God for the outcome of your husband's soul and his life. Focus more on that than trying to get him to do what you want. You can't fix him. You are to be submitted to him for God. That's your call. That's your responsibility. God will deal with his heart, but God will use your gentle and quiet power to do it. I have a testimony of this in my own life. My grandfather was a heathen. A heathen's heathen. We're all heathen. We came to Christ. My grandfather was was a rough, mean man to my grandmother. For years and years, he was the kind of man you women would love. He would come in the house and say, where's the food? And if it wasn't on the table, it was horribly bad for my grandmother. He didn't make a bed. He never cleaned a toilet. He never vacuumed the house. Grandma did it all. All the time, she was entrusting her soul and her life to God to take care of her husband's eternal life. And one day... God broke his heart because he watched Christ working through my grandmother's life. That brought him to repentance. To see that she would submit and work in such a way that would bring God glory and serve such a wretch as he was. That is the power of a gentle and quiet spirit that God is addressing here. And by the way, ladies, when you have this kind of attitude, when you have a quiet and gentle spirit, not only are you beautiful to your husband, but here it says that you are beautiful in the sight of God. God loves the way you look inwardly when it shows up outwardly in a gentle and quiet submission to your husbands out of honor for God and for their good. Now, if you look very closely in Scripture, you see that that gentle and quiet spirit is a direct reflection of the one who had the perfect gentle and quiet spirit. That would be the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand what the word gentle means? Here in this text, it says gentle, but it could be translated meek. Ladies, you're called to reflect the meekness of Christ. Let me just tell you, if you don't understand what the word meek means, meek means this. In Jesus' case, it means this. Absolute authority and power under control. Meekness is the ability to have power and ability to assert your own way and your rights, yet you willingly choose To not do it for the good of others. You parents understand meekness. Sometimes you're meek towards your children. You have the right to punish them. You have the right to come down hard on them. But you restrain that right for their good so that you can direct them gently. Jesus was meek. He had power that was under control. And what Peter's calling for is for you to reflect that kind of power. That kind of submission in your relationship to your husbands. Jesus' strength had the strength to to come down from the cross, yet he did something. Instead of coming down, what did he do? He submitted to the Father's plan, to the Father's will. 
He controlled his strength and he humbled himself for the good of others and the glory of God. Ladies, that's what you're called to do this morning. You're called to humble yourself. Submit to God's will for your life. Trust God without fear of what the outcome will be. Trust God to save him. Don't manipulate him. Trust God to transform him by your constant and abiding presence of Christ in his life. You're called to do this for the glory of God and for his good. You're called to do it by his grace. You're equipped to do it so you can reflect the beauty of Christ in his life. Understand this. Jesus' power is what really equips you to do this. It equips you. The power of Christ who dwells in you, the submitted heart of Christ controls you, keeps you from demanding your rights as women for the sake of the salvation of your husbands. Maybe even the sanctification of your husbands in the case of believing spouses. It's the power of Christ that keeps you from demanding your rights. Ladies, you cannot tell me you haven't had that urge to demand your right to your husband. I know you have. I've been married 20 years. I think she might have done that once or twice. But by God's grace, I watched my wife submit to Christ when I was wrong many times. She knew I was wrong, by the way. Yet she submitted in honor of God's order and for my good because she knew that if I did go this direction, I was leading the home and I'm responsible for the direction it ends up at. So ladies, take comfort in that. You submit to his authority willingly, thankfully, and he will direct you and he will be responsible for the outcome of that direction as well. But you're called to reflect this so that you reflect the kind of humility that Christ had. I want to show you that real quickly as we depart from Peter for just a moment in Philippians 2. Philippians 2. And I just want to say this to the, to the ladies in our church here this morning. Ladies, I, I, I love expository preaching for this reason. And one, one of reason of many. But I don't know if anyone you, any one of you here have a struggle with submission or not. But in expositorily going through this text, we're here this morning. And I don't see that kind of submission issue problem here in this church. But you know your own heart. And God is addressing you this morning. And right now he's addressing you to look to Jesus who shows you how to submit willfully to your husbands for their good and for God's glory. This is the purpose here in this text. Look what it says, ladies. This is what you're called to do. Verse 3 of chapter 2 of Philippians. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Now, ladies, we can apply that directly to you in this way. Do nothing from selfishness in your marriage or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard your husband as more important than yourself. That is an impossible task apart from the power of Christ working and cultivating in your heart love and grace and submission to God's will. You need to be calling out for God to do that. Because verse 4 goes on to say, don't merely look out for your own personal interests. Don't assert your right to be this way or that way or get what you want. Instead, you need to be also for the, looking out for the interests of others. And then he says, ladies, you are to have this attitude in yourself. He's going he's to commend you to have the attitude of God, the Son who willfully gave his life to save you. Will you not willfully lay down your rights and your life for the salvation of your husband? 
or for the sanctification of your spouse? Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be asserted, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, a slave. And being made in the likeness of men, he was humbled. He became dirt, made flesh. Being found in the appearance, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. How far did Jesus humble himself? How far did Jesus take submission? Did he, did he take it from, he came down to give us an example? No, he, he took it to the point of death, it says here. Ultimate submission. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Ladies, you're going to have to die to self to serve your husbands. That requires you looking to Jesus for your strength. It's going to require you trusting in Him who went to the cross quietly and gently for the sake of your salvation and for the glory of God. It requires that kind of quiet and gentle spirit to lead your husband patiently through your willful submission and display Christ's beauty. Go back in 1 Peter 3, 4. It says it's the hidden person of the heart that's displayed through this quiet and gentle spirit. And again, this is the, this is the part that is beautiful when we see it in godly women. We see this kind of this quiet and gentle spirit when you listen to your husbands, when you follow their lead, even though sometimes that means you, you ask questions. Honey, are you sure you need to do it this way? And he says, yes, dear, we're doing it. And you say, okay, I am going to trust God who put you over me to accomplish his will through this. And when he fails, you don't run to him and say, I told you so. You say, I am here to serve you as you suffer through this failure. Let me do so with a quiet and gentle spirit that reflects the beauty of Jesus. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't do that to us when we fail? I told you so. No, the Holy Spirit, he comes to us quietly and gently. He convicts us. And he points us back to our hope, which is found in Christ. So, wives, you need to be reflecting that kind of beauty and grace in your life to your husbands. That, that kind of testimony of submission testifies to your true hope. You don't hope in an imperfect man, husband. That's not your hope. Your hope is not in that your husband will do everything right. You know he's not going to do everything right. He is a sinner whether he's a sinner saved by grace or an unbelieving sinner, he is a sinner who will fail many times. Your hope is in God who puts you in that man's life. You don't put faith in an imperfect man. You can sometimes find in that imperfect man pictures of Christ, glimpses of Christ. But for the most part, you, your hope is not in that either because that is a reflection of what God is doing in him. It's not something he owns on his own. What you're hoping in is God who has the final authority over all men and women to guide you and protect you and set you apart to serve your husband in a way that brings honor to him as you honor God and will lead him to salvation. Verse 5 of chapter 3 goes on to say, when you do this, when you reflect this kind of beauty, you're reflecting the true heart of who you are as women. He's actually going to call you not sons of Abraham, when you submit willfully for the good of others, trusting in God to guide your imperfect husband, you're going to be considered daughters of Sarah. 
what it says. For in this way, in former times, the holy women, the set-apart women, the sacred women, the women who belong to God, also who hoped in God. You see that? Their hope was not in anything in this world. Their hope wasn't in their husbands. Listen, Sarah didn't hope in Abraham. Abraham messed up. She saw him messing up. She knew he was going to mess up. She watched him mess up. She went through the suffering of his mess-ups. She wasn't trusting in him. She was hoping in God who put this imperfect man over her for a divine reason. What did the imperfect man do? Exactly what God wanted him to do. But through that imperfect man, she trusted God to produce an a unbelievably astounding great plan. He accomplished the plan of bringing the Messiah into the world and a holy nation, a holy people, people set apart for God's own glory through even this imperfect man's leadership in the home. And she submitted to this man, not trusting in him, but trusting in the one who called him to this great task. She hoped in God. Those women used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. If you submit to your husband as you're submitting to God, submitting for his good, for God's glory, you're doing what is right when you do it without complaining, without begrudging him, and you're doing it willingly for his good. You are a daughter of Abraham. You're a daughter of Sarah, that's what he says here. And Sarah obeyed Abraham, even at times when she could have said, that's a bad choice. Instead, she said, Master, she obeyed him, calling him Lord. And I've read a lot of commentaries that dealt with that word Lord there. A lot of them tried to make it sound like, oh, that's just something, you know, that that was a colloquialism for the time, didn't really mean master, meant more like sir, like respect. So, so women, you're supposed to just respect your husband. Now, I, in the context of Genesis um, 18, that's not the way it's addressed. She's, she's submitting to the master that God put over her. She recognizes not that he deserves to be called Lord, but that God who gave her this husband was going to do a great work through his life. Therefore, God who gave her this husband is worthy of honor. And so I will honor the man he gave me and I will call him my master, the one I will obey. Because I trust God that he didn't leave me alone in this relationship. He led me to this man. He's going to do great things through this man in spite of this man's imperfection. If you do what is right, Peter says, ladies, If you do it with a right heart, a willing heart, you reflect the beauty of Christ. If you do this, you have nothing to fear. You will not be frightened by any fear. When wives submit for the good of their husbands and do what is right, and then they're mistreated by their husbands, they still have nothing to fear. God will one day deal with their husbands. You entrust your life to God who judges righteously. You entrust That God knows the heart of that man, whether he will come to faith in Christ or not. And God will vindicate your abuse one day. And let me say this. God will also protect you as Christian women in this church. If a man abuses you, if a man hurts you physically, you come here and you will not be afraid. Because we will serve you. We will be a buffer between you and that man. We will call the authorities to get involved in that situation. So you have nothing to fear in Christ. You can trust in God's plan in submission. It will bring glory to God. And it may bring salvation to your husbands. I want you to know something again this morning. 
as a church body and as you ladies that are here being addressed this morning in particular, I want you to know something. I do see evidence of your willful submission in your life. The beauty of Christ-likeness in your adornment toward your husbands as you serve them gently. But I will say this. We can all still excel still more, right? Uh, Christ-like submission in husband-wife relationship has to be cultivated. If, if, if you let this go, your sinful tendency, ladies, will be to be in rebellion against your husband. That was the promise that was going to happen because of the curse in Genesis. She will always try to take the first place in the home. That goes against God's order. But guys, I'll tell you this. If your wives are trying to cultivate submission, you better be cultivating leadership. You better be cultivating Christ-like love to give them a reason beyond the command of God's order to follow your leadership and to submit to you with joy, willingly. As Christian men, we have that responsibility. We'll address that next week when Peter will tell us that we need to live with our wives in an understanding way in a way that would reflect the glory of God and their good, help them in their good. So as we do that this next week, be in prayer as you go through this text again tonight, today or tonight and read it, understanding that submission is a glorious picture of Christ-likeness. And that beauty of Christ-likeness is on display in godly women when they serve their husbands and they do so for His good and for God's glory. Let's give Him thanks for that this morning. Father, we thank you for the text we've read this morning. We thank you that this text is not something that women can do on their own. We, we thank you, Lord, that we, we know in this text that they must call upon you for the strength to do this. And Lord, we also know as men that when we see our wives submitting, they are doing so to bring you honor. And we should respond with thanksgiving in our hearts for your gift to us because our wives are a glorious gift a gift that comes from the Father of lights, the one with whom there is no impurity, where the gift that they've been, they are given to us is for our good. We, we recognize that as husbands. And yet, we thank you that you are calling us to lead them in ways that we can't even do on our own. Again, we, we must trust in your leadership, in your guidance, as we love and sacrifice our lives for our spouse. Father, we ask that you would be reflected in the way we act as husbands and wives as a testimony to your grace in the world. Because God, I, I know when we leave this place and, and relationships begin to change within the home, our friends will begin to ask, why do you do this? God, I, my prayer is for the ladies in this church is when that happens, they will respond with the gospel. They will tell them that it's the gospel of Jesus that allows me to see my true calling in life. Is not to assert my will, but to do the will of God and to lead others to Christ, starting with my home. Father, I pray that you would be glorified in that as we learn to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.